0: We've historically referred to them as achievement gaps, really looking at the gaps between the achievement of Black and Latinx youth compared to their white and Asian peers. But more recently, we've evolved that conversation as educators, and we really realized that what we're looking at here is opportunity gaps, because many Black and brown children just don't have the same opportunities for enriching learning experiences, that their more affluent peers, actually.
1: Welcome to Elevate, a podcast about achievement, personal growth, and pushing limits in leadership and life. I'm Robert Glazer, and I chat with world-class performers who have committed to elevating their own life, pushing the limits of their capacity, and helping others to do the same. Welcome to the Elevate podcast. Our quote for today is from James Baldwin. The paradox of education is precisely this. That as one begins to become conscious, one begins to examine the society in which he is being educated. Our guest today, Ayali Shakur, is one of education's most innovative thinkers. She's the CEO of Build.org, a national organization that identifies self-driven and underserved high school students, providing them with the inspiration, skills, and experience and mentorship necessary for success and connecting them with business leaders. On a personal note, our company Acceleration Partners has done a lot of work with Build and I've been proud to serve as a board member on the Boston chapter and also donated a portion of the profits from Elevate to Build. Ayeli is also an advisor to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation's Equitable Futures Initiative and has had her writing featured in the Huffington Post, The Hill and Entrepreneur Magazine, and as a sought-after keynote speaker. Aiella, welcome. It's great to have you join us on the Elevate podcast.
0: Thank you so much, Bob, and what a kind introduction. It's good to be here.
1: So you've made education and educational advocacy the focal point of your professional life. I'm guessing there was a lot that led you to become so passionate about that. So I'd love to hear... Kind of your story and, and what led that to be your focus?
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, I definitely did not start out thinking I wanted to be an education. I actually originally wanted to be a screenwriter. <laughs> and uh, after college at Boston University, I went off to Hollywood to write movies. Uh, and I ended up being a starving writer. And a friend of mine, uh, his mom was a teacher and at the time, there was a teacher shortage in Los Angeles. So there were ads on the news so, you know, at night. They were running these commercials that said, you know, we're desperate, come teach. Um, and so my friend said, you should try it. And so I, I gave it a shot. I figured, oh, you know, I'll go teach and I'll have my afternoons free and my summer's off. And how hard can it be? Uh, it ended up being the hardest thing I'd ever done. I was teaching first and second graders and uh, they had sort of a sink or swim program. They kind of throw you in the classroom and see if you can make it. And uh, yeah, it was (laughs) probably not the most recommended way to train teachers. But I absolutely love those little ones. And I was just absolutely determined to make sure they could all read by the end of that year, which almost all of them could. And uh, just got bit by the bug at that point. Um, You know, I think one of the things that really struck me was I was teaching in Compton. It was really the height of gang violence. You know, you'd hear the helicopters flying overhead and the police tape as kids were heading to school on their walk to school and just what struck me is that these young people were so bright and energetic and excited about learning but at the same time they were faced with so many adversities just based on where they live like there was just so much going on at that time in their neighborhood and i just really saw education as being that safe space that really has, you know, there's an opportunity there to put young people on an incredible path to success or to just really fail young people and sort of leave them as victims of the circumstances and zip codes where they're born.
1: So when did you transition from classroom teaching to educational entrepreneurship and what inspired that shift?
0: Well, after my time in Compton, um, starting my teaching career, I actually moved back home to Boston, and from there, I did a bit of a stint in classrooms, teaching in Boston public schools and charter schools, and eventually took over a tutoring center that was called uh, Boston Tutoring Center. It was a little mom-and-pop tutoring operation, and I actually purchased it. And realized it should have been nonprofit. So I <laughs> reincorporated it as a nonprofit organization. And um, what I found was that there were so many young people that we were working with. We would do diagnostic testing with all of our students as they were starting the program. Many of them were scoring off the charts in terms of like reading skills or math skills, but they were failing everything. And that got me thinking about this idea of student motivation and like what is it that helps young people to become motivated when it comes to school. So I was actually doing a lot of motivational programs at Boston Learning Center around the time when I heard about this program called Build that was coming to Boston. And it was a program that was started out in Silicon Valley. They were starting a Boston office and looking for their founding executive director. Um, And so because they were using entrepreneurship as a vehicle to engage and motivate young people, That's really what I loved about Build, and the more I heard about the model and met the founder, Suzanne McKechnie-Clar, and some of the other members involved with the organization, I I said, wow, this really is something I would love to be a part of. So I made the leap after 15 years of running my own nonprofit, uh, Boston Learning Center, and came over to Build as the founding executive director in 2010.
1: And can you talk a little bit about the Build model? Because I think it goes to the heart of... Maybe what's wrong with the educational system in certain communities and, and, and how to help plug that hole. And I know there's a lot of this in a book yesterday on sort of just creating, are we creating extrinsic motivation or intrinsic mm-hmm. motivation? Because the former doesn't last very long.
0: Exactly. That's so true. You know, in fact, there was a study uh, done by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, maybe about 10 or so years ago, and they found the number one reason why students drop out of high school is because they're bored, because they just don't see the relevance between what they're learning in school and what's happening in the real world. And so what Bill does is we actually come in to high schools and we're actually focusing on the lower performing schools in a district. And we'll come into those high schools and we introduce young people when they're 14 and 15 years old in ninth grade. Uh, We introduce them to this concept of entrepreneurship and we actually help these young people to come up with business ideas, to pitch for seed funding from investors who put up the money for them to launch their business. We surround them with wonderful mentors from the business community who come into their classrooms on a weekly or biweekly basis to help them bring those businesses to life. And it's really about bringing this real-world project-based experience into the classroom that helps young people realize what are the connections between what's happening in school and what they're learning in school and what's happening out in the real world around them so you know if you hate math but you know now all of a sudden you realize oh wait i'm trying to calculate cost of goods sold and profit and loss like when it has to do with money suddenly you know that becomes a much more tangible and exciting topic to think about and when you're you're not really crazy about writing skills but you need to write that business plan so that you can actually be able to make the pitch and be able to bring your business to life like those are the types of things that make learning tangible And also, you're really helping young people uh, really put themselves in the driver's seat. So that whole idea of self-agency, where they're directing their own lives and becoming the CEOs of their own companies, that's really where the spark comes on, and you really just see students start.
1: So in terms of you know, we'll talk a little bit more about equity and, and that gap, but it occurs to me there are a lot of kids that are bored yes. <laughs> in a lot of schools.
0: Right. Of all ages. I was bored. All right. races. Yeah, exactly. I was bored, too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so what's that's a whole maybe separate episode. So what is the <laughs> what is the difference? Is it the level of involvement in high performing schools? Or I mean, what's the difference in that makes boredom dropping out of school versus not dropping out of school?
0: right right i think you know some of it really is also so you combine dull irrelevant content and then you combine that with low expectations right and that's where you get into the issues around race and class and so a lot of times when you are at lower performing schools and in under-resourced communities you have some amazing teachers in those schools who are working incredibly hard and really pouring a lot of love and attention into young people. But then you also have a subset of teachers who have low expectations. And sometimes it's done just out of benevolence, or we don't want to push the young people too hard or too far. Other times there's more of an underlying implicit bias that's built into that. And so you end up with many Black and Latinx youth that are in schools where they're not being pushed, they're not being given any of the advanced work or the enriching content or the enrichment classes. They're not getting the AP classes. They're just not getting the level of instruction that they need in order to actually thrive academically. And, and very often, you know, sadly, there's some students who don't even get the prerequisite requirements that they would need to be able to go on to college. Or when they get to college, they have to take all sorts of remedial courses because their writing and math skills are not strong enough. So that's really where you see these equity issues playing out. And, you know, we've historically referred to them as achievement gaps, really looking at the gaps between the achievement of Black and Latinx youth compared to their white and Asian peers. But more recently, we've evolved that conversation as educators, and we really realized that what we're looking at here is opportunity gaps, because many Black and brown children just don't have the same opportunities For enriching learning experiences that their more affluent peers actually
1: do. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best in class towing capacity, available 33 inch all terrain tires and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great looking car the new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all new Lexus GX luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. When you're hiring for your small business, you wanna find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And, and what's really interesting, so I know we live in a data-driven world, right, these days, and which is impacting a lot of non, nonprofits, but this is like a controlled experiment in a school, right, where, <laughs> where a certain group of kids are given this opportunity, and this I think everyone is, right, but they opt into yeah. this program, right. and, and they stay with this one extra track, let's call it, over the four years. What is the difference mm-hmm. between those kids and then the, kids, the other kids who are in the same school?
0: Absolutely. I mean, we're able to get about 96% of our students to graduate high school on time. Uh, We're typically in schools where the graduation rate might be below 60%. Uh, When we started the work, most of our schools had graduation rates below, you know, less than half of the students would graduate on time in four years. So 96% of them are graduating when they go through BUILD. Over 80% of our students will go on to college. And even when students just do one year of BUILD as opposed to doing the full uh, four-year program, they're still graduating at about 30% higher rates than their peers who didn't do BUILD. And it's really a testament to two things. There's, there's the, the power of, again, being in that driver's seat, having that sense of self-agency and developing what we call and BUILD the SPARK skills. And those are six skills that we teach very explicitly through the entrepreneurial experience uh, that are predictors for college, career, and life success. And so those spark skills for us are communication, collaboration, problem-solving, innovation, grit, and self-management. And you'll recognize those as, you know, many of those are the 21st century skills that employers say they they need uh, from workers. Uh, And then also those are the social emotional skills that many, many of our schools are saying, you know, we need to do a better job of developing those social emotional skills for our young people. Uh, They're as important as the academic skills. And then the other piece that's so unique about build that I absolutely love is the, the way that we work with mentors from the business world. Uh, And again, they're coming into the classroom to work with students on their businesses, but really what they're there is, they're there to really work with young people on their self-development, helping them develop self-esteem, helping them just to acquire new skills and helping them to build social capital, which many of our young people don't necessarily have you know, access to those internships or the jobs downtown or just even the ability to, to um, interact with and develop relationships with business leaders and other professionals from the business world. And so that's a very eye-opening experience for young people, and it becomes a transformational experience. Certainly, we love when kids do all four years of BUILD, but again, if you just even can do one year, that one year has a really powerful impact on students' ability to graduate high school and go on to college.
1: Yeah, what's really cool is like at the BUILD Fest, which is the big event when kids are selling their stuff and their products, I uh, so you, you walk up and, and they all identify themselves as the the CEO, the head of marketing, the CFO. Like right. it's, just, it's just very mm-hmm. empowering. Hi, I'm, I'm you know, Mark and I'm the CEO of, of this business. and that's right. I just think that's very confidence building.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you're 14 and 15 years old and you can say "I'm the CEO of a company I created, I mean that's transformational, because it changes the way the students sees themselves, and it changes the way they see the world and what's possible. And once you can open up a student's sites, to the vast amount of possibilities, you've you've just opened up all of these opportunities for them, that, you know, they realize then the sky's the limit. And that's half the game when it comes to motivation. That intrinsic motivation really comes from knowing that there are possibilities and that you have the control. You're in the driver's seat when it comes to taking advantage of all the possibilities that the world has to offer you.
1: Now, I don't even know the answer to this, but on the longitudinal data, do more kids go into business and entrepreneurship in the long run? Or does it just become a catalyst for their education and figuring out what it is that they want to do?
0: Yeah, no, they actually go into wherever their passions lie. So we do have a, a, you know, a good number of students who will go and major in business, but I'd say we have an equal number who will go into you know maybe criminal justice or into education or into health careers. Uh, or some of the other STEM fields. So we really work hard with young people to help them tap into their passions, whatever that may be. And, you know, for us, success is that they went on to college and then into careers and have a thriving life, and we want to make sure they're passionate about whatever that field is. One of the things, though, that, that I always point out to our young people and to also just new school partners when they're thinking about entrepreneurship Everything's a business. So whatever, wherever they land, right, there's a business aspect to all of those fields. Somebody's doing the marketing, somebody's doing the accounting and the finances, right? So there's, there's some aspect of business wherever they go. And so those are very transferable skills when they've actually had the chance to run their own business in high school.
1: Yeah, that's funny. Someone asked me on a podcast I was on last week if I would wish my kids were entrepreneurs. And I said, well, <laughs> it's kind of a disease in some <laughs> So I'm not sure I would wish it on someone who doesn't want it, however... Yeah. The things that I work with them on, on understanding revenue and profit and loss and creative and finding a solution, like those are skills, You any industry, any field. That's right. Mm-hmm. In fact, a lot of people in a lot of fields get taken advantage of because they don't understand basic finance and, right. and stuff like that. So I think, yep. as you're saying, the spark skills are, are probably life skills more than anything.
0: Right. And that entrepreneurial mindset, you know, just the ability to create something out of nothing, to be able to ideate and pivot and fail fast and like all the lessons you learn through entrepreneurship, I mean, those skills are going to be even more necessary for our young people in this future world of work. I mean, there's some predictions that say like 60% of the jobs for the future haven't even been invented yet. And so our young people need to be very nimble and resilient and be able to pivot in order to adapt to whatever those new work environments and jobs of the future will be. So there's no better way to prepare our young people than to make sure they have that entrepreneurial skill set and tool set so that they're prepared for the jobs of the future.
1: So I know this will be like asking you to choose among your children, but do you have a specific (laughs) build story of someone like Longitulia that really kind of demonstrates the the impact of, of the program?
0: Yeah, well, you know, I think the um, wow, there's so many stories (laughs) too. So you're so right. Wow, you know, I I will just choose a local story because you know I did have a a chance to found the Boston office, and you know, many people, uh, some of your listeners included, might be familiar with Cookie Boss, which is uh, the highest-grossing business in build history. They've done uh, well over thirty thousand in in sales, and they they take cookies and put corporate logos onto the cookies. And uh, we had a young lady in that program, her name was Cindy, and, you know, very shy, a little defiant, just sort of insecure in who she was when we first met her in 14, uh, at the age of 14, in a school in Hyde Park. And that young lady became the CEO of Cookie Boss. And as such, you know, she was leading her team, she was doing a lot of public speaking. And, um, you know, that business, she really helped guide and steer that business with the help of a great mentor, uh, who was with the team for all four years. And she ultimately decided that she did want to major in business. And so she went to Bentley, Bentley university and got her degree in marketing. And it's actually, she chose Bentley because her mentor, Jim Madison was also a Bentley grad. So it was kind of nice to see that full circle, where uh, she ended up at the same school at his alma mater. And uh, Jim and I were able to attend her college graduation. So we were at high school graduation and the college graduation. And now Cindy is serving on the Boston Regional Board. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of like the best of all worlds where you see a young woman who has just been able to shine and thrive and grow and prosper through the BUILD program. And now she's able to give back to younger students who are just coming through BUILD. And
1: um, so she's able to pay it forward. Is she mentoring the cookie boss team? That's still going yeah, she's on. not
0: quite mentoring the cookie boss team, but she's actually setting up some alumni programs and working with some of our other younger kids in that in some of the schools where she attended.
1: All right, that's great. So, I mean, you'd probably be one of the best people I could think of to ask this question. But what, what changes to the school system? There's a lot of different opinions on education these days from <laughs> we need to vocationally to teach specific skills to totally the other way. We need to teach people how to think. Uh, mm. How do we make it more fair and equitable? Like, what what do you think the school system of the future needs to look like? Both, you know, to make it an equitable system, but, but also to give people the different opportunities that they need to figure out what it is they want to be and do?
0: Yes. Well, um, that's a great question. You know, we, we're actually, um, Build is helping to lead an initiative called Open Opportunity Massachusetts. And it's a cross-sector group of educators and government officials and business leaders and um, university partners and employers really coming together to answer just that question and like, how do we reimagine education starting here in Massachusetts and specifically in Boston and some other cities where we're doing this initial work. Uh, one of the things we're really focused on is this idea of a campus without walls. And really that the idea is how do you take down some of the silos of our traditional brick-and-mortar schools Mm -hmm. where students are isolated and only getting uh, what's available in their specific school. So it's very limiting based on your zip code, based on race and class. And I think with this, with the world of COVID, where all students are learning virtually, it actually opens up a whole lot of other opportunities that we never had before when all learning had to happen in your assigned school, in your neighborhood. So it's opening up a lot of really interesting conversations. And, you know, one of the things we're looking at with this campus without walls is how do you give students access to some of the top teachers across the city or across the state, regardless of what school uh, the student is assigned to? So that idea of opening up access to curriculum and instruction, some of that could be done virtually as well as um, in person. And then how do you bring in the employers to that conversation and your university partners? So you're getting that real-world project-based learning with rich internships and job shadow days and job opportunities after school and over the summer. And then how do you bring the you know wonderful, enriching instruction from some of the out-of-school time providers and in-school partners, um, in addition to build like the debate league and you know, other uh, programs like uh, BAM, which is Becoming a Man. Like there's a lot of other great nonprofits and after school and out of school time providers that can really help create a full enriching menu of offering for our young people. And then you really have to focus on that rigor. Um, I like how the superintendent in Boston Public Schools talks about rigor and joy, right? So the joy is just that love of learning and just having that rich and full menu of offerings that tap into students' passions, but then also having the rigor of like your AP classes and, you know, again, a highly um, motivating curriculum that pushes students and they're learning and they're growing and stretching as they're going through the educational process. So those are some of the things that we're really looking at as we think about equity and education.
1: Yeah. The joy and the learning, I think it was a, Fifth or sixth grade back to school night for one of my kids. and I, and I remember, like, my history teacher looked like history. <laughs> and, and my my son had this, you know, young, enthusiastic teacher and yeah. and and he said, like, your kids won't remember what they learned in my classroom, but I just mm-hmm. I want them to l- remember that they liked learning about history.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I just
1: thought that was such an, and that's what you said, sort of the learning. It just seems like, we're way too far on these scales so on one side you're saying we don't have enough expectation you mm-hmm. know or or and on the other side this massive achievement culture that has just destroyed the fun in in learning and and they're like totally opposite <laughs> problems right like, yeah
0: and i think that you know one thing that's interesting you know i know it's hard in the middle of a Crisis to sort of think about like what are we learning that's actually helpful in reimagining education. But the fact that students are learning online, I think once we get past the shock and awe of all of that, uh, as we think about learning in the fall, there's an opportunity for students to be more self directed, to really follow their passion, to do personalized learning where students are learning at their pace that's right for them and learning some of the, the topics that most interest them. And right now we have a one-size-fits-all approach to education that is failing most, right? Because we have some students, it's too slow, and other students, it's too fast. But you're all stuck in that room, and you're going through 12 mind-numbing years of education. When in fact, you know, if we move to a competency-based assessment system, it allows students to move and flourish at their own pace, And to really have those types of uh, learning experiences that tap into their own passion. So I'm hoping, you know, we'll start to see more and more of that type of shift, particularly since we're not going back to school as we used to know it, Um, you know, with COVID, there's going to be so many modifications and so much of these blended experiences, part online and part in person. and. You know, there are a lot of educators like myself out there hoping this is the wave of the future in terms of where where we can push things with the help of technology combined with what happens in person in classrooms.
1: Yeah, I mean, the talk about a school without walls. I mean, the amount of people who have made you know programs free, what you can learn, yeah. kind of democratizing the content part of education.
0: Absolutely, there's so many open educational resources. I mean, a lot of parents were not aware at all that they existed. And then, you know, another great thing that's come out of COVID, not in all cities, but certainly in Boston and and many cities across Massachusetts, you know, we now have devices and internet coming into households that may not have even had, you know, the laptops or the Chromebooks. And now they do because schools were able to mobilize and get that done. Now we haven't solved all the connectivity issues, but people are really working on that. And I think, you know, especially in a state like Massachusetts, that's a solvable Issue And across the country, people are looking at creative ways of making sure we close the digital divide. So, you know, if it took a virus to get us there, you know, that's progress, you know, no matter yeah. how you look at it, right, to make sure that every family has access to the web.
1: Well, it's June 2020, and there's a lot of organizations with everything that's going on, organization, companies, nonprofits, universities are confronting their own diversity issues and shortcomings. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I know you you led an incredible session with a bunch of the students really talking about it from their own perspective a few weeks ago. So mm-hmm. I, there's a lot of leaders struggling uh, this is new for them <laughs> and they don't mm-hmm. and I know you actually had to deal with this you, you even led this initiative within the built organization which was a really interesting discussion we had but how can organizational leaders begin to address this issue you know some of the unconscious bias and, and they say well we know we need to be more diverse but where do they start?
0: right right I think you know first there's sort of the acceptance that oh we need to do something differently and move in a different direction. So that's really the first step is just sort of acknowledging that there's work to do in this area. And then I think, you know, bringing in some consultants, experts, facilitators who can help with that process, because there's a lot of people now who are doing work in the DEI space with diversity, equity and inclusion who really can help uh, lead and guide the conversations that need to happen internally in an organization in order to move towards a more equitable more equity and more diversity amongst the staff and amongst who's in positions of power within an organization i will say i always say this is that diversity doesn't happen by accident right? it has to be a very intentional plan and approach to say we are going to diversify our staff we're going to diversify our board We're going to look at our leadership team. It's looking at your vendors. Who are you spending money with? It's looking at every aspect of your company or organization to see where there are issues around equity and inclusiveness. And uh, that takes, again, just that willingness to say, okay, we need to move in a different direction. And then being willing to have those courageous conversations that are carefully facilitated, so i, I don't recommend that folks do, you know don't do the, don't try this at home you know don 't do it without yeah. facilitation because these are uncomfortable conversations, yeah. and so you know you really want to make sure you're bringing in some experts that can can help guide the conversation and guide the leadership team in what that process should look like. Uh, you mentioned the town halls that we did at build, and I was really um, pleased to be able to do that. We had that facilitated as well we were very. Yeah fortunate to have a member of our board who um, is a, a DEI professional for a number of companies and has done it for a number, you know, for many years. And one of the things he pushed for was uh, storytelling. And yeah. he said, you know, we're going to just hear from people and let people share their stories. And, you know, I'm an African-American woman and you know, I was sort of planning this town hall and I wanted to have some slides and a whole agenda and like, this is what we're going to go through. And he said, no, we're going to tell stories. And I, you know, I was I went for the you know, he's the facilitator, he's the expert, and we're gonna go with that. And it was it was a really powerful experience, I have to say, you know, as I was sharing my story, you know, I got kind of emotional. I think, you know, when you hear people of color tell their truth, you know, you will hear things that others may have taken for granted. And for our white allies that were on the call, I think it was eye-opening for them. And some of our white allies also shared their stories which then makes it a safe space, right? And you have to establish the safe space at the beginning of these types of conversations. But it was just great to hear the various perspectives and to hear where people are in their journey. And the storytelling helps people gain more empathy when they're understanding what that lived experience is like for people of color and, you know, at all different walks of life, at all stages of life. Uh, that racism is alive and well in America, and that there are systems of racism uh, that need to be dismantled. And that is going to take courageous conversation, but more than anything, it takes people being willing to take that first step and to say, okay, we are willing to go on this journey to change and to move in a different direction in dismantling these system.
1: Hey, Elevate listeners, whether you're selling a little or a lot, Go to shopify.com slash elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash elevate. Yeah, the, the storytelling was just incredibly powerful, both there and, and the last couple of weeks. And, and I think that's. the biggest impact on me i think there's a lot of there's a lot of yelling (laughs) on social media particularly there's a lot of people telling people how they should respond what aspects what should they should think as, as i said in a recent friday but i don't think it in any context anywhere it works well to tell people how they should feel and what they should think.
0: Right. Yeah, that, that doesn't necessarily work. <laughs> I've never seen that as, as a recipe <laughs> right, for success.
1: Right. But, yeah. uh, you know, it occurs to me in what you said, and and I think everyone who's who had facilitation or leadership meetings understands the value of facilitation. Like, don't try this at home. But yeah. <laughs> are, are there two parallel conversations? Is there like a team conversation in a getting the the issues out in the organization or the bottoms up are really getting an assessment of where they are. And then there's, it seems like there's a leadership conversation of like, some people still want to understand the why or what is our goals or what does an outcome look like? It almost yeah. seems like those are two different tracks that you need to pursue.
0: Yeah, I think there's the organizational, you know, the conversations you have as an organization. And then the leadership team does need to grapple with, uh, whatever the issues are coming from the top, right? Because a lot, you know, these, these structural decisions are made at the top. So the leadership team always has work to do in these types of facilitated conversations and just to do the work around DEI. And then I, I still call out our white allies because racism has to do with structures and systems of power, like you didn't have to put the structure in place to be complicit in this racist system, right? These structures were put in place hundreds of years ago, many of them, um, and some more recently, like 50 years ago, right? But those structures exist, and it's very possible to be a white person in the suburbs who's so far removed from the issues that it's almost like you've got blinders on you can't even see those issues that are at play. And so there's a certain level of work that white people need to do in sort of studying and reading and deconstructing the narrative that is based on a really false premise, right? There's all sorts of pieces in there around like meritocracy and did you work hard enough for it? And you know, survival of the fittest, like there's all these narratives at play that help keep structural racism in place. And when you really start to unpack uh, those narratives, and there's a lot of great books that have been written, a lot of great articles, and they're popping up even more now.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. The New York Times top 10 bestsellers, like none of the books have been written in the last year. It, yeah. I don't, I, don't, I don't think it's ever mm-hmm. happened before.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thought this, but there's plenty of reading. And, you know, I always say it's like the Matrix. You can take the blue pill or you're going to take the <laughs> red pill, right? And it's just like opening your eyes to the systems that are at work and, and some of the, the, you know, that structural racism that's gone back for hundreds and hundreds of years. And it's just not taught in school. Like we sort of gloss over, I was reading an article that talked about, you know, most white people and even a lot of our kids of color, you know, we learn in history, you know, black history is just slavery and then civil rights with Martin Luther King and then Obama. Like that's it. Like that's the, the extent of what you hear. And so there's so much in there about slavery as a capitalist system, and the, the construct of race as a way to suppress uprisings amongst the the poor white uh, workers of that time. You could actually say to the poor white workers, "Oh, well, look, you're better than these black people who were enslaving." And it became like part of the mind game that was used to you know just suppress, just to keep capitalism in play. And so there's all sorts of pieces. You look at the, the history of our cops and, uh, you know, the police force were some of the slave catchers who would go and, and, you know, catch slaves up north and bring them back down to the south. So that adversarial relationship between the police, who many of them were part of the KKK, or, you know, if they weren't dressed under the hoods, In some cases, you know, the police were just ignoring all of the abominations that were taking place during Jim Crow. So if you don't understand some of those historical pieces that give us the systems and structures that we have today, then it's easy just to sort of gloss right over all of those pieces. There's a wonderful book even about our prison system, the new Jim Crow, completely eye opening that looks at just all of the racist practices in our criminal justice system that explain the mass incarceration rates that we have, uh, which is so abnormally high for people of color. So it's really just unpacking. And, you know, it's almost like learning another language. You got to just go do the research, do the readings. And, uh, you know, without any shame or guilt, like you're just learning and opening eyes to history that was never properly taught in the first place in school. And then I think once that people have that deeper level of understanding, then the natural reaction is, okay, how do we dismantle? some of these racist systems that are holding in place these structures that don't belong in a modern world. And I believe that the lessons that we're getting out of this time of COVID combined with all of the Black Lives Matter and this this heightened awareness of race and inequality, we already thought, we were already talking about the economic inequalities and all of our businesses shut down. And then we add the layer of racial inequality and there's got to be a wake up call in all of this, right? It's too much of a watershed moment in our history uh, for us to be living at this moment in time. For us not to come through this on the other side and have a vastly different world than the one we're in now.
1: And, and to the leaders who are who are taking themselves on their educational journey, but are. Maybe they're even a little bit embarrassed, but as they go through it, worried about saying the wrong thing, don't yes. want to, there, there is a, I've talked to a lot, of there is a lot of that, like just mm-hmm. disgust and outrage, but like, I mean, not, maybe not feeling the psychological standing or not just mm-hmm. where they jump in. Like, I, how would you encourage those folks to yeah. jump in? not going to be perfect yeah
0: (laughs) right you can't right like it's not going to be perfect and i think you know even uh even leaders of color are we have to watch what we're saying and double check the wording and like make sure you know because you don't want to offend and you want to say it right way and you don't want to sound angry and you so i just understand like that's just part of the process that's why we call them courageous conversations uncomfortable conversations we have to be comfortable with the discomfort. And I think that, you know, understanding that the journey is a journey and just, you know, if you say something and, and it lands wrong, I, you know, I think we're in a place right now where people are trying to assume some positive intent and give some yeah. grace.
1: Anywhere but Twitter.
0: Well, <laughs> <laughs> indeed, anywhere <laughs> Twitter. but I think, you know, you just have to kind of just take that leap. I think it's like riding a bike, right? When you learn to ride a bike, you fell off a whole bunch of times. But you, you knew at the end of the day, you wanted to be riding free on that bike. And so you kind of got back up and, and kept at it. And I think there's a, there's a learning journey. I think the more you talk about race, and this I will say, the more you talk about race, the easier it gets. Yeah. You know, and so you just kind of keep at it. You just have to keep at it because it's a real issue in America. And frankly, it is only our white allies who can actually deconstruct these systems. People of color can't do it because it's about dynamics of power. And so I think when you go on that journey, you just have to kind of get in there and realize, okay, again, it's that red pill, blue pill, like we're just gonna kind of take all the layers back. We're gonna do this learning journey. We're gonna figure out these real stories. We're gonna deconstruct these broken narratives that were not true to begin with and try to bring forth a new way and just be willing to fall off the bike a couple of times and though you're gonna have a couple of scraped knees and Have to dust yourself off and keep going.
1: So, bringing it back to Build, how do you think Build positions itself as as part of the solution to these problems, and where people could could get involved?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I think one of the biggest issues is that isolation and segregation and siloing. It might sound strange to even be talking about segregation in 2020, but you know, our many of our students are in schools that are majority black and brown young people. It could be 90 percent, 98 percent in some cases. And that means that there are many white children that go to school in all white environments and live in white neighborhoods. And so by adulthood, people don't know each other. You know, there, there are plenty of white families that don't have any people of color in their immediate circles and plenty of black and Latinx families that also don't have any white friends in their circles. And I think that until people can be in true, authentic relationships with each other, we're never gonna really be able to dismantle some of these racist structures and systems. So that's why the social capital piece is so important. And in BUILD, we bring together, we, we actually have a core value called bridge communities, where we're very intentional about bringing together our young people who are majority of young people of color, and bringing them together with mentors who majority are white people who are from the world of business and work. And we're very intentional about making sure there's diversity in those sectors as well. But because many of these companies are not diverse enough, you know, you have to kind of search for like, where are the people of color in these companies? And that's a learning experience where we're trying to also work with our partner employers to you know, sort of look at and examine their own practices. So in BUILD, it's really about those volunteer opportunities. You can be a mentor where you're really going deep in relationship with a young person of color, uh, again, helping them build their business. So you have like the, the mutual language of business. You're talking about profit and loss and target market and all these wonderful things while you get to know each other you know, many of our young people, they've never been downtown in a, one of those high-rise buildings, standing in a boardroom, doing a pitch, talking about a business. Yeah. Well, those right? may be going some away. Of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of those might be going away, indeed. But that idea that, you know, I belong downtown in those boardrooms just as much as I might belong on that basketball court or hanging out in my school cafeteria, like that sense of belonging is really key. And I think it works both ways, right? We can bring our kids, downtown into those corporate environments but then we bring those corporate folks into our communities to visit in the partner schools where our students attend school and it creates you know it just takes down those silos it takes down that lack of understanding it builds empathy on both sides and it builds relationships on both sides and once you do that that's when you start to open doors and you start to open opportunity uh, when you actually have people that you know you know them by name, by need. It's no longer this person or this group that's over there. It actually becomes somebody that's in your social circle. And then opening those doors to young people with the jobs and the internships and just the advice on like, what's that next step? How do you think about the career or think about the college you should be applying to? All of those little small decisions, you know, they amount to very big choices and very big paths that young people will take along the way, but it's those small conversations along the way that help to lead a young person to a place of success. So uh, I say get involved. If anyone's like, "What do I do? How do I make a difference?" The first thing is to go volunteer, be a mentor, uh, be a trusted advisor, uh, find you know a group, an organization like Build where you can actually get involved in a young person's life and then start opening those doors, helping them build social capital and building opportunities.
1: That's great advice. And, and that's been my, my experience too, both working with the organization and similar one, just exposure. Um, yeah. I, I think I told you last year, I went with uh, Kat Hoke to a uh, maximum security prison for a day. And just hearing the stories, You know, Kat has this thing where she asks questions you stand on a line and she asks questions to the people that are volunteering and the and the folks in prison. Like, how many of you were tucked into bed by two parents and told you were loved when you were a kid or age ten and stepped to the line? And and I mean, it's wow. <laughs> incredibly emotional and power. And then the questions get deeper and it becomes very clear how we're the same and
0: mm-hmm. how we're different
1: and how no one starts on did not start on a level playing field and
0: Exactly. Did not
1: have a chance, some of the people.
0: Right, right. It's very true. and it's, it's, you know, the the impact that someone can have on another person's life when you come in, particularly in those high school years, which are such formative years. Yeah. Just any of the, you know, K through 12, that whole journey just defines so much of who young people will become as adults. And in those high school years, you can just have such an impact. Young people are so malleable. They want to be successful. Everyone wants success. But the key is, like, are there people who help you on that journey to sort of identify and open those doors and sort of show where the landmines are and help you, you know, just help you through that journey of life? No one makes it on their own. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely not. Takes a village. So last question. What's a personal or professional mistake that you've learned the most from? And it could be singular or repeated. A lot of people just keep making the same one. (laughs) Uh,
0: You know, I guess like initially going back to that idea, no one makes it on their own. You know, I think in early in my career, just trying to take on everything on my own and and feel like, you know, I can be superwoman and get everything done. So I, I did learn along the way, you know, you have to you know, it's a team effort. You have to find allies. You need mentors along the way, no matter where you are in your career. And, you know, just to collaborate and find partners and trusted allies in order to to move things forward. So I would say that was definitely one. And then the other one is really just a lesson you learn through entrepreneurship, and that's just fail fast, right? Like if you find something that's not working, um, you know, admit it's not working. Don't just keep plowing away, trying to make it work and kind of letting that go on lingering sometimes for years while you're trying to tinker around the margins. Like you have to be willing to know when something's not working and just to stop, admit it didn't work, move in a different direction.
1: Some cost theory. Yeah,
0: yeah <laughs> right. Exactly. And yeah, sometimes we, we hang on for too long. Open to turn around a situation and sometimes it's better just to fail fast learn from it and pivot and move on
1: all right so where can people learn more about you and build and how they could get involved
0: yeah you can go to build.org so b u i l d.org uh, that's our main website and uh, there's lots of ways there you'll find about you know volunteering you can sign up for our uh, mentor opportunities, or you can just sign up for other ways to volunteer and someone from our office will get back to you. And uh, we also are located in Boston, New York, Washington, D.C., and the San Francisco Bay Area, which includes Oakland, East Palo Alto, Redwood City. So there's lots of different uh, major cities that we're in and Build is expanding to new cities as well. So if we're not in your city just yet, uh, we might be coming very soon to your neighborhood, we have a whole new satellite program that allows us to launch. Anyway.
1: What, what about outside the U.S.? I know I've gotten a few inquiries.
0: Ah, yes. You know, our hope is long-term to be a global organization. We are actually talking to some folks in Kenya and Rwanda about doing build in, in Africa. Um, right now, we're just in the United States. But again, we do have this satellite program that really can take build anywhere. So, you know, if you know someone who's looking for entrepreneurship programming, just get in touch with us.
1: All right, Ailey, thank you for sharing your story with us. You're doing incredible work that feels more uh, urgent than ever right now.
0: Thank you so much, Bob, for having me on. And I appreciate all of your support for BUILD and, and just all of your involvement over the years.
1: Absolutely. To our listeners, thanks for tuning in to the Elevate podcast today. We'll include links to Ayeli and to BUILD and her work on the detailed episode page at robertglazer.com. If you enjoyed today's episode with ILE, I'd really appreciate if you could leave us a review as it helps new users discover the show and the content. Thanks again for your support. Until next time, keep elevating.